Anyway, a great day to be here. Good to see you. Turn around and tell somebody, man, I'm glad you made it. Uh, glad you made it. John, good to see you. Amen. Glad you guys made it. Hallelujah. Turn in your Bible to two passages, uh, and don't panic on the first one because it's going to be good. Turn to Job. Don't run out of here. Oh, he's preaching about Job. I don't want to hear about it. We'll use him as an illustration, and then turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, and hold your place there as well. And we continue talking about what we began the first Sunday of this month and the first Sunday of the year, strengthening your spiritual grip. As I look through Scripture these last few months, I just saw many, many places where God was encouraging and, you know, and edifying and, and, and challenging us to hold fast to the Lord and get a firm grip on Him even from the beginning of the children of Israel, even up to uh, the book of Revelation where Jesus wrote a letter to the faithful church. We'll look at that scripture in a moment. Uh, but the theme throughout was to hold fast to your faith, hold fast to the will and the purpose of God for your life. And as you'll see in a few moments, because there's a lot of influences in the world that are trying to uh, uh, undermine the, the faith of God and the strength of God in our life. And so God laid it on my heart uh, early on, I mean, well, in the, in the fall, actually, of this past year, this topic of how to begin the year. And so I really believe we're on target and on task for what God is wanting and endeavoring to do in our life. I really believe 2012 is going to be a great year, but it may be a challenging year, and we all need a strong grip on God and His Word and will for our life. Uh, you know, I think of uh, some of uh, David's mighty men. You know, there was, if I can remember their names, uh, Eleazar, son of Dodo. How many of you know if your last name's Dodo, you better have a firm grip on something? The Bible says that Eleazar, I think it was him, that he was defending a, a field of lentils. That means just a bean patch for all of us. And the Bible says he, as one man, took his stand and, uh, and I think uh, defeated the enemy one single-handedly. Three or four hundred people came against him. And the Bible says he was so uh, in, <laughs> engaged in the warfare that when it was over, his hand clave to the sword. He had muscle cramps. So he was gripping the sword so strong. And I think that is a great picture of what God has for us and what, how we need to get a hold of him and, and strengthen our spiritual grip. And so with that in mind, let me give you a little, uh, uh, the verse that's kind of our keynote verse in Revelation chapter 3, verse 11, where God is speaking to the faithful church. He's writing the letter to them. I love this verse. Let's read it together. Everyone, le however you would read it out loud, just double your volume. I think that will be cool. Here we go. Are you ready? I'm on my way. I'll be there soon. Keep a tight grip on what you have so no one distracts you and steals your crown. I love that. That's in the message. That's a paraphrase, but I love it. Keep a tight grip on what you have so no one distracts you and steals your crown. We've talked about uh, the, the kind of we, the way we began this series is the... is. Uh, kind of looking at our own life and taking inventory of our life and, and, and asking ourselves this question, what has a hold of me uh, that would hinder me from getting a firm grip on God? Or, or uh, what, what am I holding on to? And 
what's holding on to me? And so one of the first things we had to realize that there may be some things we need to let go of and shake loose from in order to get a firm grip on God and his word and will for our life. Amen. And so that's the question we need to continue to ask ourselves because as we saw earlier, even in this service, freedom and liberty is a progressive thing and God wants us to continually shake free from that which has a hold of us and let go of that which is uh, unhealthy, unholy, or unnecessary in our life that hinders us from our real grasp of God and his purpose and plan for our life. And, you know, from listening to Kathy's testimony, that's kind of where she had to come to, where she was finally willing to let go of some things and just say, that's not a part of who I am. That's not a part of what I'm going to be. I'm letting go. And when that happened, she really got a real grip on God and his word and will for her life. And that's what God wants to do in all of our lives. The last Sunday and last Wednesday, we talked about Abraham because Abraham was the father of our what? Faith, and we talked about the need to get a firm grip on our faith. The passage we looked to in Romans, and really, then last Sunday we looked, all, and, and Wednesday night looked through uh, Genesis and looked at the life of Abraham, a great story, the father of our faith. It says of him in Romans chapter four, verse twenty, he did not waver in unbelief. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, was but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And so uh, that's where we've been, and uh, we've talked about some other things on Wednesday night, getting a firm grip on your thoughts. That's an important thing. Last Wednesday night, we talked about getting a, getting a firm grip on the spoken, declared word over your life and looked at Abraham again. And so a lot of good things we've talked about. I encourage if you've missed any of that to go back online or download it on, uh, off the Internet or download it uh, from iTunes or whatever. And really jump in and be involved with us uh, as we continue to strengthen our spiritual grip. This morning, I want to talk to you about an important passage of Scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 4.1. And what the title of today's message is, is getting a tight grip or strengthening the grip of God on our integrity. Everyone say integrity. You know, in the world we live in, there's a, there's a, there's a huge void of integrity uh, in business, integrity and many different things. And, you know, it's a political year and, you know, all the, the hype and it's just going to get worse. You know, we're going to, you know, you know, it's just a, it's just a big challenge. And so there's a big void in the world, uh, when it comes to integrity and sadly, historically, many of you, and, and of course I have witnessed a lack of integrity from the pulpit, a lack of integrity from, from uh, men, what we would call men or women of God. And so it's so important for us to really get a firm grip on, on integrity and character in our life. And with that in mind, I want you to look in 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to actually read, oh, uh, I'm going to read the whole chapter. And then if, if we run a little bit late today, will anybody panic? Okay, if you need to leave, I understand. I promise we won't be long, but I just looked at my clock here and I've got 30 minutes. I think I can do it, but I want to read the whole chapter because we're going to, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to highlight the first verse and the last verse, and then we're going to jump back in the middle and show you some important things about how to get a firm grip on your integrity. But let's begin. Chapter four, first uh, uh, Timothy says this. Now the spirit expressly says that in the latter times, let me just say that's where we live today, prophetically, according to Scripture. That in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. 
Understand this about the last times. There's an attack on our faith. And it says, the Spirit expressly said to to Paul that in the latter times, some will lose their grip on their relationship with God. And they will succumb to a spirit, a deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons and they will depart from the faith. I don't want to, I, I do not want to be a part of that prophetic declaration there. I don't want to be a part of the sum. I want to take hold of my faith. I want to take hold of God in my life and get a firm grip on him and his purpose and plan. I want to remain integral in my walk with God regardless of what comes against me. And it says that these, uh, these uh, deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, they'll speak lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving but those who believe, uh, by those who believe and know the truth. In other words, it'll be a religious attack. It'll, it, it might be religious but it won't be right. Uh, It'll be an an attack and a dilution or a diversion from the truth. It says, for every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. And then Paul says, if you instruct the brethren, he's telling, talking to Timothy, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine, which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach. Because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given you by the prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Everyone say progress. That's what I'm believing God for all of us in 2012. And then verse 16. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Everyone say, take heed to yourself. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will both save uh, yourself and those who hear you. And everyone said, amen. Notice in the first verse, it says, in the latter times, people will give heed uh, to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And then the last verse of this chapter, Paul tells Timothy what you better do is take heed to yourself and to your doctrine. Everyone say, take heed. And so, important thing to understand is God understands what this life is all about and he wants to empower us and equip us uh, to be able to stand against uh, the doctrines of demons and the influence of the devil that comes on our way as members of the family of God. Now, this verse 16 where it says, take heed to yourself, again, the message, which is a paraphrase, it just kind of helps me uh, understand this a little better. It says, keep a firm grasp upon your character and teaching. Uh, and In other words, keep a firm grip on the integrity of God and the character of God in your life. Don't let the influence of this world undermine the integrity that God is building in your life. 
God needs men and women of integrity. God is looking for men and women of character who stand up in the face of adversity and do not yield to the spiritual religiosity of the day or the undertow of, of, of ungodliness that is in the world around us. In the latter days, the Spirit expressly says that there will be those who depart from the faith giving heed to the doctrines of demons and to, the, and to the deceiving spirits of this life that speak lies and hypocrisy. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be among those folks. I want to get a tight grip. I want to take heed to myself today and do what I, whatever I can to, uh, to strengthen my spiritual grip on God and not allow the things of this world to rob me of the integrity that God is building in my life or what he has built in my life. Uh, throughout my few years of ministry and walking with God. Now, this morning, I told you to turn to Job, and I want to just show you about Job a moment. And if you'll turn there, uh, if you're there, great. Uh, You know the story of Job, and if you're looking for Job, it's right before Psalms. You know the story of Job, how Job was a devout man. In fact, it says in his life, uh, God uh, said to Satan in verse 8 of chapter 1, have you... He said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And you know the story, how they had a conversation and, and, and the, the devil said to, to God, he said, well, you've got a hedge of protection around him and that's why I can't touch him. And so if you just lift that hedge of protection, uh, we'll see how godly Job is. We'll see how in integral he really is. And you know the story how God said, okay, you can touch anything he has, but you can't touch his body. And so, so the devil came and just, uh, just, uh, with an onslaught of attack, Job in, in just a moment was left. He was a blessed man that he was left basically with nothing, but his response in all of it in verse 20, it says he fell down to the to the before the Lord and the ground on the ground and he worshipped and he told God naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return there the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away blessed be the name of the Lord and it says in all this Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong in other words he passed that test but then the the Lord or God and Satan had another conversation and basically. Uh, the devil said, just let me touch his body. And he said, okay, I'll let you, just can't kill him. And you know the story how, how the, 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 the enemy, you know, attacked uh, uh, the body of Job. And he, was, he had boils all over his body. And, and uh, just things went from extremely bad to extremely what? Worse. And it says this about him that God then talks to the devil and says... Oh, let's look down in verse 6. And it says, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took from himself a potsherd, which was to scrape himself while he sat in the middle of his ashes. Wow. How many of you know that's a bad day? But look what God said a little earlier uh, about him in verse 3. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? And he adds a little to it, and still he holds fast to his integrity. Even with all this attack, he still holds fast. 
with his integrity. So the, so the devil was able to inflict him with boils. And his wife had finally gotten enough. And it says in verse 9, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? What a blessed woman she must have been. Because she said, Why don't you just curse God and die? But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish as one of the foolish woman speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity in all this? Job did not sin with his lips. How many of you know you can sin with your lips? And so God looks down upon him and says, he's not letting go. He still holds fast to his integrity. And then his wife, she lost hope and she said, just curse God and die. But look over in Job 27, after all of the experiences of Job, and he's interacting uh, with uh, some of his friends, and he's responding to some of their questions and concerns, and it says about him, this is what he says in verse verse 1 of chapter 27, moreover, Job continues his discourse and said, as God lives who has taken away my justice, and the Almighty who has made my soul bitter, as long as breath is in me, and the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not speak wickedness. In other words, he's not going to sin with his lips, nor my tongue utter deceit. Far be it from me that I should say to say you are right till I die. I will not put away my integrity from me. My righteousness, I will hold fast and I will not let go. My heart shall not reproach me as long as I live. He said to the day I die, I'm not letting go. I'm keeping a firm grasp on the integrity of God in my life. What a testimony. What a challenge for all of us. And I don't think any of us have been under the gun like Job was under the gun. And so today I can tell you from the worst scenario you and I could possibly dream up, there is the power of God in our life to hold fast to our integrity regardless of the onslaught of evil that comes against us. And in 2012, I believe God would have us uh, get a firm grasp on, on the integrity of God in our life because there's a world that we live in today in these latter times that is filled with negative, deceptive, and destructive, and even demonic influences that their sole purpose is to undermine and, uh, and the undoing of your integrity. And if we looked at life like that, things would be be a little different. When we look at the challenges we face and the demonic attacks that come against us and the reality is that they're not just trying to get us to sin. What they're really trying to do is cause us to lose our capacity to testify, to steal us of the integrity of God in our life, to be able to, the only thing we could say is, well, do as I say and not as I do. But how many of you know God is looking for a man? He's looking for a woman who can stand up in the face of adversity and hold fast to the integrity of God in their life. Amen. Amen. And that's what Paul was concerned with his son in the faith, Timothy, because he's preparing him for ministry. He's preparing him to take the helm in many areas of ministry because as you read through Timothy, Paul is, is, is on his last uh, hour, if you will. He says, uh, I'm, I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. 
And so he's endeavoring to pass the baton of leadership on to Timothy. And that's why he wants him to, in this, in this hour, to not, uh, not, a, not yield to the doctrines of demons and the deceiving spirits of the day. And so he gives him some important insight. How many of you could use a little important insight in the next few moments? Some important insight about how to stand strong in the face of that uh, last day's demonic attack. And he, it's called the exercise of godliness. And it's found in verse 7 and 8. He says, for reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourselves towards godliness. Everyone say, exercise yourselves towards godliness. You know, some of us are involved with, with physical exercise, and you can tell by my life that that's not really me too much. Uh, you know, I, I met Josh and Laura's uh, retired neighbor. He's about 64, I think, and retired, and he walks. He's been walking for 20 years, not me, uh, maybe in the latter 20 years of my life, I can do that. But I'm not a huge, uh, uh, ex- I don't go to the gym and pump iron. Uh, I should, but it's, but the Bible, you know, and whenever I want to be biblical about it, I said, well, it only profits a little for verse eight says it only profits a little, but godliness is profitable in all things. And I love the promise in verse 8, having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. In other words, if we exercise ourselves to godliness, it will empower and equip us in this life and impact us for all eternity. How many of you want to do something in life that affects you for all eternity? Think about it. Most of the things we do have no, make no difference when it comes to eternity. But Paul says to Timothy in this revelation about the last times, he says, listen, understand something. In the latter days, many are going to depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons. And they're going to speak lies and hypocrisy. And you can't allow that to happen in your life. And so you've got to exercise yourself to godliness. For it's profitable in every area of your life, in this life and in the life to come. You see, some people look at the exercise of godliness and the things that they would, they would lump into the exercise of godliness as just spiritual ho-hum, the tune is dumb, the words don't mean a thing kind of thing. But I'm telling you, when you get involved in, in growing and exercising your spirit man, things will change in your life. It's not the easiest thing on planet earth. If it was easy, everybody would do it. That's what they say about physical exercise. But spiritual exercise, hey, if it was easy, everybody would be mighty men and women of God. But God is looking for some fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters, teenagers and even children who will look and stand fast in their faith in the face of adversity and exercise themselves for the purpose of godliness. Three simple exercises I see in this passage of scripture that I want to give you quickly. You can embrace them. And of course, we could go any way we wanted. We could talk about prayer. We could talk about witnessing. We could talk about all things. But let me just kind of simplify for you today in this context. The first one I see in all of this instruction Paul gives to Timothy about this end times onslaught of demonic activity and the responsibility we have to exercise ourselves to the purpose of godliness. He talks about the exercise of influence. 
And he tells Timothy in verse 12, he says this, uh, really verse 6, he says, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. In other words, if you will be influential in this world and not just sit and hide somewhere and kind of, you know, stay, try to stay away from the devil, if you'll get out into the middle of the, of the church and get out into the middle of the family of God and begin to be influential with what with this revelation, guess what it will do? It will empower you and equip you. You'll be nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine, which you carefully followed. There's something about sharing that empowers us. There's something about caring for somebody else enough to stand up and share and, and, and reveal the, uh, the word of God to them that empowers and equips us. There's something about the responsibility of others that, uh, that will keep us and guard us from the negative influences of this life. Are you with me? And he says, if you'll instruct the brethren in these things, you'll be nourished in the words of faith yourself. And then he says in verse 12, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct in love and in spirit, in faith and in purity. He's saying the responsibility that you have for others is immense and you've got to live a life. In fact, I love what the message, the paraphrase of verse 12 says. It says this, it says, teach believers with your life. The way you live your life. Because people are watching you. How many of you know people are watching us? Our co-workers are watching us. Our, our, our family that is strayed from God or not walking with God, they're watching us. And you know what they're looking for? Do you know what they're looking for? They're looking for a chink in the armor. They're looking for a, for a degradation of what you say. That, ah, this is what you say, but look at what you really do. <laughs> They're looking for a, for a weakness in the integrity of God in your life. And so it's so important for us to exercise our influence over others and realize that God has placed us here not just to sit soaking sour, but to be influential in the lives of others. In fact, I want to call us this week to be influential in the lives of others. And to reach out beyond the the confines of our little isolated, insulated world and say, God has placed me on planet earth to reach out and bless and minister to others. And when we do, I'm telling you, things begin to change in our life and strength begins to come. And whatever influence that the enemy or the deceiving spirits have had in our life begins to lose its grip over our life because there comes within us an overwhelming urge and a desire and a revelation that God has us here for others and Others need what we have. And and if we'll share what God is giving us, others will be blessed and we'll be nourished in the faith. It's the exercise of influence. People need what we have. In fact, he tells in verse 11, he says, these things command and teach. We've lost the art of command. Listen, parents. Sometimes we need to command our kids. My kids don't want to go to church. I don't know what to do. Would you like me to assist you? I love you. I understand. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you know what you're going to do in church? 
You're going to sit next to us, and you're going to smile and nod and play like you like it. Because if you don't, I will not be happy. Come on now. We're going to just let our kids wander off and, and, and be overwhelmed by the doctrines of demons and the deceiving spirits of this life? Come on now. Amen? Do you like that, Jim? <laughs> Amen. It's the exercise of influence. Number two that I see uh, for our own personal life and really for others, not only the exercise of influence uh, strengthens us and guards us against the, the demonic uh, impressions and, and, and oppressions of the day, but it's the exercise of instruction that leads us to godliness. Look in what he says in verse 13. He says, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. To reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. In other words, there's some areas of your life where you've got you've to kick in gear. You've got to, until I come, you've got to give. In fact, it says give yourself entirely to them in verse 15. Uh, give yourself to reading. How many of you know that kind of could reflect our devotional time with God, where we just get in the presence of God and we read the Word and maybe read, uh, you know, they didn't have that in Jesus' day or in Paul's day, but read some real good biblically-based devotional things that stir our spiritual life and feed our spirit man. And he said, till I come, give attention to reading. Let me just say to y'all in 2012, if you don't have a consistent time of devotional with God, you will somehow, some way be deceived in 2012. Do I need to repeat myself? Without a consistent devotional time with God where you just, stand, you, just, you just come in his presence and read his word and meditate on him. And in fact, what does he say? Meditate on these things where you just read the word and you just spend time in the presence of God praying and worshiping him. Without that, you, you're a wide open door to the deceptions of this life. Amen. And so... It's the exercise of a devotional time where we read. And then it says the exhortation. You know that word, that could mean a lot of things where we exhort ourselves. But really, how many of you know the Bible has other people in our lives that exhort us, build us up, and strengthen us? In other words, hey, give attention to the atmosphere. And I'm going to say the local church where men and women of God and ministry comes and they exhort us in the words of faith and they teach us and they preach to us. In other words, hey, make, make a... Make a consistent diet of a faithful attendance to your local church and to the, to the place where the Word of God is taught in your life, where you are exhorted and built up and nourished in the words of faith. And then it says, uh, give attention until I come to not only reading and, and exhortation, but to doctrine. Uh, and that's teaching or study. Listen to the teaching of God, but study the Word of God. Paul reaffirmed this to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, when he said, study to show yourself approved unto God. God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. And then he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says this. He says, now let me just tell you in, in verse 13, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. For all scripture is given by inspiration from God and is profitable for doctrine, for
for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What's he saying to Timothy? Timothy, until I come, you've got to give attention to the word and the will of God. You've got, you've become, you've, you've got to become a student of the word of God in your life, a disciple of Christ. Amen. Most people use the word as their, as their charismatic incantation of the day. You know what a charismatic incantation is? Oh, Lord, I need a word from you, Lord. Oh, God. This might work for you, but it scares me. Oh, Lord, speak to me, Lord. And he went out and slayed himself. Oh, that didn't work. I'm telling you, the Bible is much more than a charismatic incantation. It is the foundation on which we build our lives. And let me just say to you, it's not what you think or what you feel or what you you believe in your own mind or in your own heart. It's got to be what the Bible says. Come on now. It's not what I feel or think. It's what does the Bible say. And if the Bible says it's wrong, it's just wrong. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter how, uh, what others have told you. It's what does the Bible say? Yielding myself to the instruction of the Word of God because understand something, there's got to be, in order to stand strong against the influence of this world in this life and the deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons, there's got to be a firm foundation on which we build our life and you can't pick and choose what you want to believe from the Bible. Oh. Am I right? Come on, I know I'm right about that. Amen? It's the exercise of instruction. And, and uh, oh, there's more I could say, but let me give you one more. It's the exercise of what I'll call, for the sake of being sermonic, the exercise of inspiration. Look what he says in verse 14 of chapter 4, 1 Timothy. He said, and do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Now, what I think and pretty sure that's a reference to is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in his life. There's a lot of different references. Jesus said, we being evil know how to give good gifts to our children. How much more will the... Well, our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. And, and then we know that the gifts of the Spirit, those things that were given to the first century church and, and to us when we are filled with the Holy Spirit and yield ourselves to the influence of the Holy Spirit, the, the moving of the Holy Spirit in our life. And for the sake of this context today, it's the exercise of inspiration, allowing the Holy Spirit to have His way in and through our life and not neglect the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life. And look what He says in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He says in verse 6, kind of the same kind of context. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God. There's that reference again, uh, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And then he kind of gives an explanation for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, that supernatural power and of love and of a sound mind. He's talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our life. 
Jesus told his disciples, I'm not going to leave you without help. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to come and help you. And Paul tells Timothy basically in these two letters that, hey, in the last hour, there's going to be the doctrines of demons and the, and the deceptive spirits unleashed on the earth. What you need is to stir up the Holy Ghost in your life and let the power of the Holy Spirit be made real and manifest in your life and walk in the power. God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Ooh, I like that preaching right there. Man, if I was me, I'd join this church this morning. I'm telling you, it's a spiritual exercise. And that in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1 where he says, stir up the gift of God, the Greek there is fan into flame. The power and the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Amen. It's the exercise of godliness. Paul said, don't neglect it. That means to think light of it. Don't make fun of it. Don't set it on the shelf. Don't become accustomed to it. But keep the flame of God burning bright in your heart. Spiritual exercise. It's the exercise of godliness. That if we will do that, we'll stand strong. We won't just survive the onslaught. We'll thrive. You know, if you go back to Job, you read the end of the book, the blessings of God were multiplied in his life. It always pays to hold on to your integrity. What's your integrity worth? Think about it. Can you be bought? I hope not. This morning, God is looking for men and women, teenagers, who will in 2012 say, I'm going to let Job inspire me. I'm going to let Paul the Apostle inspire me. I'm going to take heed to myself. I'm not going to, I'm not going to listen to the, I'm not going to take heed to the deceiving spirits. That, and oh, they are deceiving. How many of you know the very definition of that deceiving spirit is a spirit that is deceptive? In other words, it doesn't show up on your front porch with a forked tail and a split hoof, double horned demon going, I'm here to deceive you. Sometimes it may show up as an angel of light very seductive pull on your life trying to cause you to believe things that aren't true and to not believe things that are to doubt your faith and to doubt God's ability through the storms of life this morning you have the capacity to as Job say I'm taking a firm grip on the integrity of God in my life I'm not letting go 
if necessary, like Eleazar, my hands are going to cleave to this. And may it be said of all of us, as it was said about Job by God, he still hadn't let go. He's holding on. Amen. Let's stand up together. Father, today we thank you for the influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives.